Well, good morning. Thank you guys so much for being here. If I hadn't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Melissa Forgey. I serve here as the executive pastor at the table, and um, I just get to be with you this morning. I know there's a big game this afternoon. I think one person, Scott's cheering for the Eagles. It's fine. I think we're all just cheering against the Eagles at this point. Sorry, Scott. So, um, but I'm just glad to be with you guys this morning. If you're a guest, we'd love to connect with you on the back of your the seat in front of you. Um, I know there's a number on the screen. You can text that uh, welcome to 817-755-1668. And we'll also be at the table right as you walk out this morning. We'd love to meet you and uh, just get to know you and uh, answer any questions that you guys have um, about the table. So uh, we are continuing a series that uh, Bill started for us last week, looking at the invitations that Jesus gives us all. And I, I really enjoyed re-listening to Bill's uh, message from last week and studying for this message. And um, the passages that we're studying have some really hard truths in them. Um, and, you know, God is just really doing a work on me um, as I was preparing this morning, so I feel like I'm talking more to myself today than to, than to you. Um, today we're going to be looking at the, the grace that Jesus offers us, and we hear this word a lot in church, grace, um, and in Christian circles, and, and we all have a different meaning about uh, the definite, or a different understanding of the definition of grace and, and what it means, so we're going to be diving into that today as we continue to look in John 1, and um, I was thinking of this concept of, of grace just kind of in the simplest terms and maybe what we all, um, how we use it. Um, you guys, you know, I need a little grace here, and maybe it's like we're trying something new or we're trying something hard or we're trying to kick a habit, whatever is we need, a little bit of grace. And um, I don't know if you guys have ever played a game with a kid. Um, I have two kids, and one of them wants to play games all the time, doesn't matter what it is. Um, And when he was little, whenever he would mess up, the first thing he would say is like, I want to do over. I want to do over. I want to redo, whatever. Right? And he was like cute and little, and I was a sucker, so I'd give him a do over, you know? And... um, and so it doesn't matter what we would, we're always having to do a ping pong or basketball or whatever. He's always asking for a do-over. Now he's older and he can give me a run for my money, so I don't give any do-overs, but I don't know where he got his competitive nature from. But um, many of us think of God's grace as just a do-over. God is going to give me another chance to make things better, to make things right. And I'm not saying that that's not a good definition or that maybe he will or won't do that or can't do that. But when we think of grace in that way, it feels very transactional, right? It's like, okay, well, I did something, but I'm going to ask for this and God's going to give me another chance to do it. And it puts so much of the power um, and credit of what grace look like, looks like in our lives on us and on what we do. And as we dive into John 1, my prayer is that what we read points us back to the truth that grace is not something that we have to strive for or perform for. It is a gift that is so much greater than getting to call a redo or a mulligan or whatever that we kind of whittle grace down to. It's it's a transformative gift in our lives. And so just before we start um, reading in God's word today, um, I just want to pray for us um, and pray for just what we're going to learn about today. So will you guys join me in that? Um, Father, I just thank you for the opportunity that we have to open your word together. Lord, that um, 
Sometimes we take what we are reading in Scripture and we, we whittle it down to the lowest common denominator and we miss the richness and the depth of your love, your grace, and your mercy that we find on the pages of the Bible. Father, help these words speak to us um, to be a balm to, to hurting souls today. Just thank you for this group of people and their heart for each other in this community. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to leave off, or we're going to pick up where Bill left off in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapters uh, 1, verses 14 through 18. And the screen will have the verses on it. You can also follow along in the version Bible app on your phone, and you can just um, hit the little dash thing, and then events come up, and then you see yes. So I don't know what the dash thing, there's probably a real name for it, but there's like a little dash at the bottom. Um, or you can turn to the New Testament in your Bibles. If you do not have a Bible and you would like a Bible, we have some. Um, they're on the connect wall. Um, you guys can just walk out, grab one. They are for you, encourage you to have one. Um, one of the things we always tell our students on Wednesday is if you don't know where something is in the Bible, the Bible has a table of contents, and we aren't too good to look there. So if you need to know where something is, we encourage you to do that. But John is one of the Gospels, the account written uh, based on what the disciples witnessed during Jesus' ministry and life. And John stands out in a way that um, it isn't just, you know, telling us the events. There isn't as much um, emphasis on every single event and the recording of every single event. You can tell that John, when he was writing about Jesus, he was writing about someone he truly loved and cared for, and they had a close relationship. Um, and John was called the disciple, uh, Jesus called John... Um, Beloved, which is funny that John writes about that in his own gospel. So I think he was like, hey, you know, this is where I rank in this, a little bit there. Um, but John was in his innermost circle and focused more on who Jesus is and not as much what he did in terms of events. And so we'll be reading um, the text here. And I will tell you that um, I find that at times the, the Bible can be very intimidating because we're a lot of us walk in and, and like people seem to know where they're flipping and what they're reading and stuff, and it can be kind of confusing. And so as I was reading this, I was like going, oh, you know what, we should probably say this, is that the John that we're going to read, John wrote, the disciple John or the apostle John wrote this book, um, and he's writing about another John. He's not like third-personing himself. Is that what it is? He is talking about John the Baptist here. So it can be kind of confusing, so I wanted to clarify that for you. So we're going to read verses 18 or 14 through 18 in John uh, 1. So join me there. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory and the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed that this is the one of whom I said is coming after me and ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. And indeed, we all have received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God and the one and only Son, who is God, who, who is himself God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. So there's a lot there that we want to unpack, and we're going to kind of, there's a lot to unpack, so we're going to focus on one aspect of what we're reading today, and what that is, what is grace? We, we, hear, we hear grace mentioned multiple times in just these four verses, so what is grace? Uh, just a definition of grace is 
and we're talking about receiving grace upon grace. So what are we actually receiving? But grace is unmerited, unearned favor from God. That's what grace is. And it's kindness from God that we do not deserve. Uh, nothing that we have done, will, done can, uh, will do can earn it. Um, when we understand what grace is, I think we need to reflect on why we need grace. Why do we need unearned, unmerited favor from God? And the hard truth in this is that we are broken, sinful people and have been since the garden. That's hard to wrap our minds around. Uh, Romans 12 tells us, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all have sinned. Sin entered the world through a willful choice to disobey God's command, and we live in result of that choice. Sin is missing the mark. It's missing the mark of what God is directing us and telling us, and it separates us from God. And honestly, I don't like to think of myself as sinful, which is probably sinful. I don't want to think of myself that way. I don't want to think of myself as getting it wrong or needing saving or just that broken. It's important for us to understand the role sin plays to accurately understand what grace is. The wages, the cost of sin is death. And scripture tells us that is exactly what we deserve. Which is death and an eternity separated from God. And that is not a very uplifting message at all. And it is something hard to wrap our brains around and think about. But God's grace is Jesus taking on that penalty, that wage, that cost for what we owe and paying in full our sin debt. And then he had changed our eternities from hell to heaven. So when we understand the weight of that, when we absorb that truth, even though it is uncomfortable to think about punishment, it is uncomfortable to think about these things, but when we understand what grace is and what it costs, we can appreciate what we have been given because we recognize what we deserve. It's also important to remember what grace is not. Okay, grace is not I get to do whatever I want and then I'm going to cash in my get out of hell card. You know, that's not what it is. Okay, what grace is, it, it transforms our hearts and our minds and our behaviors to desire obedience to God. When we see and recognize the weight and the magnitude of grace, that it changes everything, not just changes our eternities, but it changes our behaviors, our souls, our hearts, our minds. We begin to understand the cost of grace. And so what does grace actually look like in our life? What does it look like practically in our lives? I think the first thing is recognizing that grace saves us. Saves us from the eternal consequences of sin that we all have, because we all have fallen short. God in his love for us did not want us to be separated from him. He sent Jesus to take on flesh, to live, to experience every single thing that we've experienced as humans. Isn't that incredible? That God experienced being a baby and a teenager. 
Talk about sanctifying, right? And being a son. And walking through life. All the things that we've experienced, that Jesus experienced that. And then went through everything we went to, lived a sinless life, and then died this death to pay the debt that we owe. God's salvation sometimes seems very far off. I didn't have a better way to put this. It seems very far off. It's not something that we're like, really think about a whole lot, like, great, going to heaven, check, I'm in. That's what we think of a lot of times. We think of salvation. And it's just the fullness of it, the weight of it, the the recognition of what salvation means and what grace means. Grace is Jesus. Grace is us not getting Give, or us getting a gift that we do not deserve, which is Jesus. And all he is and all he did was grace and flesh. And while we deserved death, we were given the gift of Jesus instead. So grace, grace saves us. Grace frees us. And, and, and we're thinking, okay, if grace frees us, what is it freeing us from? Let's go back to 16 and 17 here. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we have to understand what the law is. The people of Israel were under the law. They were getting crushed by the weight of the law at the time of Jesus' birth. The law had been given to Moses. We think of, I'm going to say his name wrong, Charlton Heston. Is that his name? Moses, tablets, all things. Right, close enough. You guys know what I'm talking about. Okay. So we, we think of the, the Ten Commandments. But the law was given to Moses, and then it was interpreted and enforced by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees promoted themselves as the, the, the religious authority in Israel. And they claimed authority and demanded all who were um, submitted to the law of Moses submit to their interpretations. See, the law of Moses was a gift from God, a gift of grace. It was called a mirror so that the nation of Israel can see themselves clearly. It distinguished uh, the nation of Israel from all other nations because all the nations were trying to figure out what to do, what was right to do for them. And Jesus gave the nation of Israel this clear direction with the law. It revealed the character of God. It revealed the sinfulness of man. It provided a way to atone for sin through sacrifices and offerings. It provided direction on worship and work and rest and food. But what we see is the Pharisees, these, these legal authorities, arranged the law in a way where um, it was like a code. And it had 300 and something prohibitions and 200-something commandments and required people to submit to the Pharisees' interpretations. And the law that God meant for their good revealed that no one could keep it. It was so burdensome and heavy and confusing and impossible to follow. It also created this false sense of righteousness Like, look at me following the rules better than that guy. At least I'm doing this. And so it was like, okay, who is better? 
And it created this hierarchy of righteousness. Like, and it's crushing. It's crushing because it didn't reflect the goodness of God because of the distortion of legalism. It, it was weaponized and it was used to oppress people. It keep them in bondage to rules and regulations and that they had no chance of maintaining to be in the right standing, let alone earn favor from God. They were just trying not to break the rules. And these burdensome teachings were impossible. And the Pharisees didn't even follow them. The Pharisees were as hypocritical as anybody else. Uh, they were described as the yoke, you know, the heavy thing that we lay across the back of, a, of an oxen to plow. And they were yoked to the law of Moses and, and to the uh, Pharisees, and it was impossible to bear. It was bondage. It was slavery. It was oppression. And the law made them completely miss the goodness and the love and the mercy and the faithfulness of God. So here's an example of, of the law, and I think it was, I don't know if you, has anybody been watching The Chosen? You guys watch that? It's actually, it's really good. So I'm a little skeptical sometimes about Christian movies because the acting's not so good, but this is really good. I really enjoyed it. But here, here's an example of this craziness that was the law, okay? So healing could not be done on the Sabbath, okay? So the healing was considered work. You couldn't heal on the Sabbath or whatever. So Jesus, um, decides to heal a man who had been laying on the ground for 36 years to get up and walk. This is a miracle, right? This man has been laying on the ground for 36 years. People are walking by this man for 36 years, living this way, and Jesus heals him. And guess what the Pharisees do? Not stand in awe of this miracle. Like, hey, you healed him on the Sabbath. That makes no sense. Being yoked to the law made them miss God in their midst, in their midst. Being so worried about if every rule is being followed and every box is being checked that they missed God. They missed miracles. How insane is it to be so bound to rules and distractions and legalism and expectations that we miss miracles in front of us? That's what ha was happening with the law of Moses. The law is not bad. We just messed it up along the way. So we look at grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So if we flip back to Matthew 11, there's a, there's a, there's a couple verses here that I want to share with you. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is so under important to understand how grace frees us. The yoke is the teaching. And many of us carry a teaching that is impossible to bear, or rules, or expectations, or legalism, or what we think we should do as, as, a, as a believer, or as a mom, as a woman, as a man. Like, we have all these expectations, things that we have learned, and we've taken on, and they weigh heavy, and they are impossible to bear, and it brings shame, and guilt, and inadequacy, and inauthentic lives. We feel pressure to maintain a certain look of our lives, doesn't matter if our lives actually are that way as long as we look like they are. 
So, you know, we, just, we feel this pressure to do all things, right? To look a certain way, to provide in a certain way, to, to be happy and positive and secure and organized and knowledgeable and hydrated and, like, all these things that, like, are impossible to all do and maintain and, and have these high standards. And we have been yoked to these because of the expectations of the world, of culture, of lies that we've bought into. And, and we see this in Christian circles. I know I saw this, that, you know, a, a woman should be a certain way. You know, and I would try to fit myself into this box that someone just decided that's what a Christian woman should look like. And I was always feeling like I'm never going to be that person. So I love you guys. I'm not going to wear an apron and, I don't know, like bring baked cookies every, I don't know. I, I don't, I love people that do that. I don't know. But I just felt like if I wasn't, didn't want to do that, that I was out of this, this expectation, this yoke that I was supposed to be. And we would rather look godly, but live isolated to hide all the places that we're falling short, all the places that we're missing the mark, and all the sin and shame that comes with that. And our souls are decaying with unforgiveness, with pain, with fear, with control, with worry, with shame. But we feel like to be a part of the Christian community, the yoke that we have learned is that we have to make sure that all that stuff is away and show up and smile and be like, I'm living the dream. When people say that to me on a Sunday, that is a red flag, just so you know, okay? Ain't no one living the dream, okay? I don't know, maybe you are, but mm, probably not. You know, too blessed to stress, like that stuff. And like, you know, the, the fakeness that we adopt is such a heavy yoke to bear, to look godly, to look like we're living the Christian life. And it's perpetuated so much in our culture. The grace of Christ brings freedom for rules, legalism, expectations, because he carries the cost and the burden of whatever we got. We don't have to carry it. There's freedom there. His yoke is light. He carries the cost. Meaning we're, we're yoked to him, we're still connected to him, we're being led by him, but he carries the load. And when we're done striving and forcing it and faking and getting out under all this legalism, this, this false teaching that we have been, that has been shoved down our throats, we are able to finally rest. Take a breath. Freedom found in Christ looks like living an honest life. Living a life full of confession of our sins. Repentance to turn away from sins. Releasing control and fear. And living in community truthfully where people can actually care and know you. Grace gives us hope. Hope gives us confidence in spite of all the ways that I'm trying to mess this thing up. Jesus got it, and he's still there for me. Grace sustains us. It provides comfort for us. We will not be taken under by the heavy yoke that we are trying to bear. That's what grace does. The yokes of, imperfection, of perfection, of isolation, dishonesty, distraction, performance will no longer crush you. Grace frees us and allows us to be, begin to heal the wounds caused by carrying those of the law, of the world, the enemy. 
So when we hear grace upon grace, it's way more than just a cute sign in our kitchens or on our pillows. We hear grace upon grace, and we know that there's so much more than second chances and do-overs. It's a reminder that Jesus set us free from the stuff that is causing us to miss him in our lives. Don't miss that. The legalism, the expectations, the rules, and having to check every box and making sure everything is perfect is making us miss Jesus in our lives. The miracles that he does perform every day. Grace transforms us from the inside out. It reveals God's truth for us and the hard stuff. See, he is grace and truth. There's not one greater. He isn't, oh, well, I'm going to be graceful so I can't tell the truth, or i got to be truthful so i got to be mean. Okay, he is both. In the hard, we can accept his grace and truth. Grace allows us to accept truth. It comforts us. I, I've shared this many times, but it is because of Jesus, God's grace and truth that my marriage has been transformed. Uh, Matt and I um, had very real issues when we were married, uh, first married, and um, one of them was the yoke of expectation. Um, I looked at the world around me and watched all the movies and decided Matt needed to be that husband. And if he was that husband, you know, happy wife, happy life. And I didn't really care about how my expectations impact him. Um, I had all of these expectations that were unmet because I had all this stuff that I was seeing that was fake. It wasn't real. I was comparing my real life to someone's highlight reel and going, man, we're not good at this. Listen, marriage is hard, and it's wonderful. It is wonderfully hard, okay? Two people, just so blissfully ignorant, so in love, diving in. We're going to, like, we're going to bring all our stuff together. We're going to live in close proximity to each other. We're going to join our money, and we're going to listen to each other breathe and eat and chew for the, all eternity. It's going to be great, okay? It is hard, Sorry if you're newly married. Just hang in. You'll be okay. And I realized all these expectations I had of Matt, most of the time I didn't even say them. I just wanted him to know. Like he should know that I want him to want to do these things. Okay? He should already know that. And I realized that those expectations, that yoke of expectations where happiness goes to die. A very slow, painful death. And we had issues. And it wasn't just one thing. It was all the things. It didn't look like it was supposed to. It didn't look like what I thought it should look like or what I thought I deserved. And I watched my parents be miserable. I watched Matt's parents struggle. And I didn't, it, what, this is obviously not working out. Let's not live like that. Let's just get out, start over. We're still young. I told Matt I wanted to divorce on a Friday. I will never forget the look on his face when I told him that. On Sunday, he went to a church for the first time in my marriage by himself. Don't know why. Um, he came back. He told me, I'm not doing anything. I'm not talking to anybody until you go to church with me. Okay. So I went, real bad attitude, sat a seat away from him, 
truth. Like my arms crossed with like the sign that says, mm, don't talk to me. And this pastor started talking about Christ's love and relationships, of course. And I was like, Matt told him to talk about this. And here's what happened. We went back. I have no idea why. I was not raised in church. I did not seek out the church. It was never a part of my life. But we just continued to learn about God's grace and love and that we were accepted and we were loved and, and we had a purpose and a plan and the pain that we were in wasn't always going to be. And our lives would never look the same again. I began this slow process of actually believing in God. Believing that Jesus was real, that he had a plan for me, that he came to earth, he died for me. And one day I was in church and the pastor is praying and, and preaching and I am like sitting in the back going, oh my gosh, I actually believe this. What do I do with this? And as a good new believer, I went home and I Googled how to accept Christ. And I would never encourage you to do that. If you have to, it's fine. But like a prayer popped up and that's not the thing. But like it was my thing at that moment. And I remember for the first time in my life getting on my knees and praying not for God to fix Matt. Make him better. Just make him get it. I pray, Lord, fix me. Like heal me. Help me. And I recognize my own stuff and my own sin and my own yokes. And but Jesus loved me the same. And he began to change my heart in so many ways. The way I interacted with the world, the way I acted, interacted with my family, with my husband, began to be transformed really by the grace and gift of Scripture. I saw for myself God's grace on the pages of my Bible. My heart and eyes were tuned to what God wanted for me and from me instead of what I thought I deserved. Because of God's grace, Matt and I have been married 19 years. God bless that man. We've made it. Um, we are not perfect. Okay, and our marriage is not perfect. I mean, watch us drive together for a little bit. You will know. God's grace allowed us to heal our own personal brokenness, and that ended up healing our marriage. And it reminds me day after day that I am loved, and I am wanted, and I am valued by my creator, but I don't deserve everything that I think I deserve. But yet I get grace. And we go back to verse 14. It says, it says this in, in, in John. It says, if I can find it, hello. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt actually means to tabernacle. And the tabernacle was an actual tent that the nation of Israel would set up in their encampments. And that's where the presence of God was. It's like earth and heaven overlapping in this beautiful place. God's presence was with his people. It was with his people in the garden. That was his intention. It was with his people in the tabernacle. Heaven and earth overlapping. Jesus' body, Jesus became the temple. After his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, 
the followers became the temple for God to dwell in us. And one day that we will dwell again with God in the new heaven and new earth. And when I hear the phrase grace upon grace, I always think of the God who comes close. That is awesome, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) This is how we do it. That's right. I'm just overwhelmed right now by that song. But um, just the great that God is close to us. He will never leave us. He will never leave us alone. In every minute, every addiction, every affliction, every trial, he is present. That is grace. Just imagine like your best friend just sitting with you next to you through every hard thing. That is grace, and it is real, and it is present, and it saves us, and it frees us, and it transforms us. And I get to say, I will never again be the person I once was because I have been redeemed by God's grace to a whole new life. I'm going to invite the band up um, while I finish here. I know they're going to come sprinting from wherever they're sitting, but um, as we reflect on the grace of God and, and, and what grace means to us. I'd like to lead us into a time of communion. Jesus, before his death, was with his disciples, and he instituted the Lord's Supper. He told his closest followers, his dearest friends, and his betrayer, this bread is my body. This wine is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He says in Luke 22, do this in remembrance of me. If you're a follower of Christ, I invite you to take of the elements. And I just encourage you to use this time to reflect. To reflect on what so graciously has been given to you. What needs to be confessed in your life. What's keeping you in bondage? Rejoice in the saving grace of Jesus. You can take the elements whenever you feel ready. There's no way to do it right. You can do it how you feel comfortable. You can sit, you can stand, you can kneel, you can sing. But this is a time that we have a space that we have in our services to sit and reflect on the cost and the weight of grace. To remember what Jesus did for us. To bring us into relationship with God again. That the old life is gone and there's a new life for us.